Hello, my name is Ida. Welcome to my channel and welcome to the case of Jennifer Fairgate. Before we start the video, I just want to apologize for the lighting. I guess the ring light keeps like doing this and I don't know how to stop it. But anyway, let's start. On the 31st of May, a woman named Jennifer Fairgate checked in at the Oslo Plaza Radisson Blue Hotel in Oslo, Norway. Three days later, the body of the same woman was found lifeless on her bed inside room 2805. Her death was ruled a suicide with a 9mm Browning pistol found in her right hand. But the lack of blood and gunshot residue on her body told a different story. When examining the scene, no identification was found. The pistol's serial number had been scratched off and all of her tags from her clothing had been removed. Removing serial numbers from weapons and tags from clothing are all common practices of covert operatives. Was Jennifer Fairgate even real or was she a covert operative? Looking closer into her death, detectives soon realized that the mystery woman had woven herself into a web of lies. Upon checking in at Oslo Plaza, she provided the name Jennifer Fiergate, the age of 21 years. An autopsy later revealed that she was around 30 years of age. And lastly, an address for a small village in Belgium, which about two decades later would turn out to be a dead end for journalists trying to discover her identity. No 21-year-old to 30-year-old woman named Jennifer Fairgate matching the mystery woman's appearance never existed. So who was Jennifer Fairgate? What was she doing in Oslo between the 31st of May till the 3rd of June 1995? Two till three days before her arrival at Oslo Plaza, Jennifer called the hotel to tell them that she would be checking in with a man named Louis Fairgate, a name that she on the 31st of May would put next to her own on the registration card when checking into Oslo Plaza. So let's look at the day that Jennifer checked into the hotel. On Wednesday evening, May 31st, a woman checked herself and a man named Louis Fairgate in at the Oslo Plaza Hotel. This hotel was at the time in 1995 a very high luxury hotel in Oslo. When checking in, the woman provided the name Jennifer Fairgate, which she later misspelled as Fairgate with an E instead of an A and an I on three separate occasions. When checking in, the woman provided the name Jennifer Fairgate, the age of 21 years, and lastly, an address to a small village called Verlaine in Belgium. One of the front desk operators at the hotel believed that they saw a man standing next to or not far from Jennifer when she checked in on the 31st of May. But after this sighting, the possible Louis Fairgate has never been seen again. So let's talk about what Jennifer looked like. Standing at 160 centimeters, weighing approximately 77 kilos, with clear blue eyes and a short black pixie cut, and trendy black pumps, Jennifer resembled many women of the 90s, yet she was far from ordinary. The autopsy found extensive dental work in porcelain and gold, indicating a wealthy background. Though her belongings contained expensive clothing, she had only packed for her upper body. There were no skirts or jeans or trousers or anything like that found in her belongings. 
So was she only planning on staying a little while? Shortly before her death, Jennifer had a shower. When she was found by police, Jennifer was neatly dressed in all black and high heels, looking like she was about to go out. Okay, so let's look at the 2nd of June, which is the day before police discovers Jennifer's dead body. At 8.06 p.m. on the 2nd of June 1995, Jennifer ordered room service. Kristin Andersen, an employee at Oslo Plaza, noticed that the room was almost sterile when she brought Jennifer her food. Before left, Jennifer gave her a tip of 50 kroner, which at the time was valued at about 5.50 USD. This meeting is significant for two reasons. One, Kristin is the last person known to have seen Jennifer alive. Two, the autopsy found this meal undigested in her stomach, suggesting that Jennifer died on June 2nd, the same day that she ordered room service, instead of June 3rd, when her body was discovered, like the Norwegian police originally hypothesized. So let's take a look at the events of June 3rd, when Jennifer's body was discovered. On the evening of June 3rd, 1995, an Oslo Plaza receptionist noticed that Jennifer had not provided her credit card information for her stay. This was problematic for many reasons, such as the fact that the hotel was a five-star hotel and Jennifer had booked herself an expensive room. Additionally, hotel maids had noticed that the not disturbed sign had been hanging on Jennifer's door for about two days. The same day, a hotel security guard took the elevator up to floor 28 and knocked on Jennifer's door. Seconds later, the same security guard heard gunshots coming from inside room 2805, which was Jennifer's room. Frightened by the possible serious situation at hand, the security guard hid nearby and observed the door of room 2805 for a short while before he made his way down to the ground floor where the security department was located leaving the door of room 2805 unguarded for 15 minutes, meaning anyone could have entered or left the room in that 15-minute gap, including a possible murderer. Approximately 15 minutes later, um, a security guard and the chief of security came back to knock on the door of room 2805, but they received no answer. The door was double locked from the inside, meaning that whoever locked it did not want anyone to enter. Only security can enter the room when it is double locked. So the security chief used his keycard to open the door and said that as soon as he opened the door, he smelled a strange acrid smell. And shortly after, he saw the body of a woman laying lifeless on her bed. And as soon as he saw that, he closed the door and asked his colleagues to call the police. So let's talk about the crime scene. The police arrived shortly after they had been called and approached room 2805 carefully. Upon entering, investigators saw a woman laying dead on her bed with a gun in her right hand and a gunshot wound to her forehead. There was no trace of a possible killer, there was no evidence of a struggle, and what they found in the room indicated that only Jennifer had been living there. Investigators found that Jennifer held a semi-automatic 9mm Browning pistol. 
a powerful weapon in her right hand, but Jennifer had a strange hand grip around the gun. Instead of holding the gun with her index finger, sort of like this, with her index finger on the trigger, Jennifer had her thumb in the trigger position and her fingers on the other side of the hand grip. Furthermore, this specific gun is known more as an assault weapon than a gun that someone would use to protect themselves. Jennifer was firing the gun with her thumb, a bad grip on the weapon. Normally, the weapon will be thrown away, firing with that grip due to the recoil that pushes the gun back. So why was Jennifer still holding the gun? How could that happen? The police also found that her briefcase held 25 rounds for her pistol. Almost two decades later, a feature journalist for the Norwegian newspaper VG, Lars Christian Wegner, decided to reconstruct the crime scene of room 2805 to get to the bottom of whether Jennifer's death could have been a suicide. By consulting crime scene experts, was able to conclude that the probable explanation for Jennifer's death was homicide. The reconstruction raised the following questions. There was no blood on the weapon, her hands or her clothes. When a person commits suicide, blood will usually be found on all of these. So why was there no blood found on the gun, on Jennifer's hands or on her clothes? Was someone or something blocking her? The most likely explanation for this would be that someone was sitting on top of her, holding her hands to the side while killing her. But if that was the case, why did she not fight back? The answer to this might have lied in the toxicology report, but unfortunately, the police only checked for alcohol and not drugs. So whether Jennifer was drugged and unconscious at the time of her death remains a mystery to this day. The chief pathologist at Oslo University Hospital said that this could have been a suicide, but there were no blood spots on her hand. In most cases, when people commit suicide, they are shaky and they will put their left hand around the barrel. Then there will typically be blood spots on their hands, easy to identify stemming from a suicide, but in Jennifer's case, there were none. So, was Jennifer a covert operative? Was she killed by one? Or was it both? So let's talk about the investigation. When investigators went through room 2805, they could find no trace of an identity, no credit card, no driver's license, no car keys, no house keys, no toothbrush, no hairbrush, no cosmetics, no toiletries, no ID card, no passport. This is weird because normally people need a passport to get into Norway and Jennifer was clearly not Norwegian as far as the investigation has found. Looking at Jennifer's clothes, investigators found that all the labels were removed. She had a sweater, a trench coat, and many clothes for her upper body, but there were nothing for her lower body, such as skirts or jeans or trousers of any kind. The investigation also checked the logs of when the door was opened and closed, but found very few entries into Jennifer's room during the time of her stay. And there was no immediate entry around the time of her death. 
Here is a timeline of when Jennifer's keycard was used to enter her room. On Wednesday, May 31st at 10.44 p.m., Jennifer enters the hotel room for the first time. On Thursday, June 1st at 12.21 a.m., someone enters the room again. This could be Jennifer, this could be someone else. The only thing we know is that the keycard has been used. Thursday, June 1st at 8.34 a.m., someone enters the room. And Friday on June 2nd at 8.50 a.m., someone enters the room again. And the last entry is on Friday, June 2nd at 11.03 a.m. when someone enters the room for the last time. By interviewing hotel maids, police were able to figure out that on Thursday, June 1st, at 1pm, Jennifer's room was empty. We know this because these hotel maids were there cleaning the room and they told police that no one was present when they were doing that. This means that the room was unoccupied from that time on Thursday at 1pm till the next day in the morning at 8.50am when Jennifer's keycard was used to enter the room. That is a gap of 20 hours, which means Jennifer was not in the hotel for 20 hours, at least not in her room. So was she with someone else? Did she wander off? Was she staying someplace else? There's no way of knowing. This has also caused questions about whether Jennifer was a drug smuggler or a top-class prostitute or possibly an assassin. But sadly, only Jennifer can answer that. We have no idea to this day what she was doing in those 20 hours. So the hotel had tight security and cameras due to the fact that they were a five-star hotel and there were tons of celebrities and political figures and important people staying there. But unfortunately, the police reports do not state anything about them investigating these tapes or looking into the security cameras. So we actually do not know if the police have looked into those but it is unlikely that police have searched them since nothing has come out about it. And police also do not know anything more about Louis Fairgate and they don't have any evidence that he ever existed. So since Jennifer had claimed to be from Verlaine in Belgium, which I don't know if I am pronouncing that right, but it is a tiny village that does exist and the police did inform the Belgium police about her death so that they could tell her family and let them know what had happened. But they quickly discovered that Jennifer Fairgate did not exist. She had checked in under a false name. So the police also managed to get fingerprints from Jennifer from her room and these were run through Interpol but no one reacted to it. And after dead ends with the fingerprints, police started to worry that Jennifer's death might not have been a suicide. For the next couple of weeks, the police looked at Jennifer's death as a homicide. But this new theory also did not bring them any new information, so they went back to their original theory of the suicide. 
Police kept Jennifer's body for one year just in case someone would be able to identify her. But that unfortunately never happened. And a year later, on June 26th in 1996, the police buried the woman known as Jennifer Farragate. And there was no funeral, it was just a burial. And she didn't even get a headstone because they didn't know her name. Since the collection of DNA was not common practice for the Norwegian police in 1995, they did not not collect any DNA and they destroyed all evidence when the case was closed in 1996. But in November 2016, Jennifer's body was dug up from her grave to exhume her DNA. And her DNA profile has given us some new information, um, such as the fact that Jennifer was of European heritage. She was likely from Eastern Germany, since one of the hotel receptionists remembered that she talked with an Eastern German accent when she was checking in. The police have not been able to identify her through DNA yet because there are no other DNA profiles to match her to because no one has reported her missing. However, they were able to determine that she was born between 1970 to 1972. So let's look at the theories of the Jennifer Fairgate case. The first theory is suicide. So, from the get-go, the police theorized that Jennifer had been depressed, stuck to herself, and been alone and spent most of her time in Oslo inside her hotel room preparing for her suicide. In one of the police documents, it says that they were 99.9% .9 sure that Jennifer's death was caused by a suicide. But since that did not explain the overwhelming evidence, such as how she was holding the gun and the lack of gunshot residue on her hand and the lack of a blood spatter, they moved on to believe that it was a homicide. However, the homicide investigation did not give them anything new to go on, so they moved back to the original theory of suicide and closed the case and buried Jennifer a year later in 1996. The second theory is that Jennifer was an assassin. So Oslo Plaza, the hotel she was staying at, had been a place for many secret international political negotiations. And Oslo Plaza had in fact held one meeting for Israel and Palestinian authorities. And these types of meetings were kept fully secret. At this time, Norway was actually involved in many peacekeeping negotiations. These included stuff that happened in the Middle East and Balkan and Africa. The theory is that Jennifer might have been a hired assassin to target one of these political figures that might have been staying at Oslo Plaza and attending one of these secret meetings. But there is no evidence to say anything more about this. It's just a theory. The third theory, which is the theory that I believe and I think most people believe the most because it explains most of the evidence and the crime scene and the weird behavior is that she was a covert operative or in other words, a spy. So a former Norwegian intelligence officer was interviewed about this case on the Unsolved Mysteries episode 
called The Death in Oslo, which is about Jennifer's case. And he presented the theory that Jennifer might have been a covert operative, or he was actually pretty certain that that is what she was. And he thinks that Jennifer's murder was part of a fairly well carried out intelligence operation and that she was in fact executed. And he says that this would explain the neat and strange crime scene, the lack of identity, and her 20 hours outside the hotel where no one knows where she went. He also points out that if she was a covert operative, it is likely that she had a second place to stay if something was to go wrong. So perhaps something went wrong in the span of those 20 hours and she stayed someplace else and then returned to the hotel and whatever happened before that was part of what eventually got her killed inside her hotel room. This same Norwegian former intelligence officer also explains that the fact that the key was double locked from the inside doesn't necessarily have to mean anything. It is very easy for intelligence operative to manipulate these sort of things. He actually said that there is no door uh, an intelligence officer cannot get through. He also further highlights that Jennifer's death had to be a professional hit because all traces are hidden. Her lower body clothes, her toiletries, her cosmetics, her identity as a whole, there are no traces of whoever Jennifer was. Someone did not want Jennifer's identity discovered. And if this was a professional hit of a covert agent by another covert agent, it is likely both sides would have remained quiet. He says that if this was a professional hit, Jennifer's subordinates would take care of her family and pay them off to keep them quiet and tell them that their daughter was a hero. So what happened to Jennifer? Who was Jennifer Fairgate? What was her real name? Where was she from? And what was she doing in Oslo from the 31st of May till the 3rd of June in 1995? There must be a family out there that wants to know what happened to their loved one. And there must be an answer to why Jennifer was in Oslo, why she was gone for 20 hours, and why she was found dead in her hotel room with a bullet hole through her head. To this day, the tragic death or murder of Jennifer Fairgate remains a mystery. And to this day, the police still have no idea about the real identity of Jennifer Fairgate. So, Jennifer Fairgate, whoever she was, whatever her real name was, I believe that she deserves a headstone with her real name on it and her family deserves to know what happened to her. So if you have any info about her identity or anything else related to her disappearance, you can contact the Norwegian newspaper VG with the email that I've listed in the description box and tell them what you know. Anyways, that is the mysterious case of Jennifer Fairgate. I hope you enjoyed this video. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this case. It is so mysterious, it is so interesting, and there are so many facts that just don't add up. Do you think she was covered operative? Do you think she was an assassin? Do you think she committed suicide? Do you think she was murdered? Let me know in the comments down below. But that is it for this case. Stay safe out there and I will see you next time.